or it was going to be the ring and we would be cursed forever. Just whoever lived there was very sexually frustrated, I think. <laughs> this is Design School. Well, Paige, thank you for um, volunteering and, and accepting our invitation to be on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, so we usually start off by asking the first question from um, our last podcast, which was Brittany. And she asked about, um, she wanted us to ask how and what was your path to becoming a designer? So, Yeah, so my path was a lot different than Brittany's or other designers that I know who actually went to school for design. And I think the fact that I didn't go to school for design is kind of why it it took me a while because I didn't feel like I had that validation of becoming a designer because I didn't have the traditional background. But looking back on my whole life, there are all these stepping stones that I didn't piece together until I finally arrived here. And now it's kind of obvious to me at least that find that. So I went to college, Southern California in Claremont, California. Mm-hmm. And when I went to college, I started out as a neuroscience pre-med major. My mom was really one who was like, oh, you should be a doctor. You should be a neuroscientist. You should be this, you should be that. And so because I didn't have anyone else telling me what I should be, I just thought, oh, okay, I'll go do those things because it it has provided me some direction. Uh, My first semester of college, I had the one biology professor who decided not to grade on a curve, so everyone just got C's, D's, and F's, and he didn't care. Uh, So I quickly decided, you know what, I don't think science is the thing for me, at least in college. Uh, I wanted more of a life. I wanted to do things outside of the sciences. And so I I always say that I downgraded to psychology, even though it's not totally downgrade. But I, I really enjoyed psychology. Um, I was also a dance minor. I danced my whole life. And then my sophomore year, I broke my foot. And so that put the kibosh on the dance minor. But I had always been taking art classes and decided, okay, well, I can, I've taken enough art classes, I can take a couple more and then have an art minor, so why not do that? I really fell in love with it, uh, during, particularly during my senior year. I, I practically lived in the wood shop and did a lot of more 3D design work. I took a really cool class from a woman named Catherine Miller called uh, SOFA. Sculptural Object Functional Art. And so we would build furniture. She would give us these design briefs. And so we would build furniture and boxes to somehow fetishize something. And uh, it was so much fun, so cool. And I thought, okay, I really like this and I really like design. Why not pursue that further? And before college ended, I thought, okay, well, maybe I want to go into interior design. So I enrolled in the Bellevue College program up here. Uh, for interior design, but ended up unenrolling because uh, life happens, and I got really sick after college. Uh, I was diagnosed with cancer less than a week after I graduated from college, and uh, just needed to find a job that had good health insurance. So I found a job as an office assistant 
and really had no direction with my life anymore. I thought, okay, well, I was going to do this interior design stuff, but now I really have no idea where to go. I want to do something else, but I still didn't know what that was, and I didn't have that validation of having a design background to kind of back that up. Yeah. So I was working in this office assistant uh, role and going through chemo and thinking, okay, I need tools of some kind. So I thought, maybe I should go learn how to make websites because I had always really loved uh, – technology and I would in high school I would like illegally download Photoshop and uh and uh, flash and like figure out how to use them because there was no way that my parents could afford it like we got a computer finally when I was in like maybe eighth grade and and uh so I was like figuring out how to use all these programs and making websites on GeoCities and but really it was very minimal like tripod and uh it was it was very minimal coding it was like learning how to bold things with like b tags mm-hmm. um but it was like i loved doing that kind of stuff and even before then i was the kid who i think partially because we didn't have a computer uh I wasn't distracted by the internet or anything. So like in in elementary and middle school, I I would stay up so late at night cutting out magazines and things from magazines and making these really elaborate collages. And I got really good at cutting (laughs) and really good at cutting things out. Um, So fast forward to right out of college, working on uh, figuring out what I wanted to do with myself. Um, I took, I enrolled in this certificate program through the University of Washington called Web Design with Adobe Creative Suite. Uh, Really the most worthwhile quarter in that program, it was just one night a week, uh, was the HTML and CSS class. And that was taught by a guy named Corey Gutsch, who is phenomenal. He owns a design studio up on Capitol Hill called Civilization. I've still kept in touch with him over the years. This was back in uh, 2008 when I was taking this class with him. He was absolutely wonderful, and I really glommed on to uh, the work in the class, and I loved it, and I would go home, and I would just make as many websites as I could. And so I started doing more of that. I would work all day at my job and come home and just make websites. And they were all horrible websites, but (laughs) at least I learned by doing. So after a year, I got a job at Seattle Academy, where I now teach, uh, in addition to my full-time job here at Simply Measured. I still wasn't hired as a designer, but one of the first things that they asked me when I started was, hey, can you redesign our website? Because we've heard that you've been taking like these coding classes. And you need a lot more than just HTML and CSS to, you know, build a whole content management system. But I, I hacked something together and everybody <laughs> loved it and it worked for a couple of years, surprisingly. Uh, but in that job, it was, it was really great because I, I was able to rebrand the school entirely and had a really great time working there uh, for two and a half years. And while I was working there, I was building up my side clientele and figuring out the best ways to design branding and websites and ultimately took that full time in January of January of 2012 
I thought, okay, well, I can do this full time, branding websites for small businesses. That'll be my thing. And then I went to a startup weekend. And are you familiar with Startup Weekend? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So went to Startup Weekend and joined a group called Witch Bus. We were combining the One Bus Away API with the Google Maps API so that you could have routing and real-time arrival data in the same app. And I had never designed for mobile before. I was the only designer on the team. I was having serious imposter syndrome. Uh, But we ended up winning Best Design. And that was like maybe three weeks into uh, working for myself full time. So that really gave me like a boost of confidence. At that startup weekend, uh, one of the judges, her name was Jenny Lamb. She approached me afterwards and said, hey, so I co-founded this software design company called uh, Jackson Fish Market. And we're always looking for contractors. Would you be interested in coming to work with us? Uh, I said, yes, I would love that. But I am going to be going out of town for two weeks. And so I was, I was actually going on this big trip for a couple weeks uh, to Israel. And she said, okay, we'll just check in when you get back. And I was like, so worried that they were going to find somebody instead. And, uh, but I came back and reached out. And they uh, talked with me. And... I started working with them. And that's where I met Brittany uh, and... And Holly. Holly, yes, yes, Holly. And I was originally hired to build functional prototypes for their eHarmony redesign. So they were redoing the entire user experience of the eHarmony.com website. And uh, so I was focusing on the relationship questionnaire. Um, And so I spent... uh, few months coding up all these different prototypes and then I did some design work for them as well uh, it was a really wonderful experience they really took a chance on me and I don't know how I don't know if they know how thankful and appreciative I am um, of Jenny and Hillel for taking me on and so after that I worked with them and started working more with other tech startups so I wasn't just quote-unquote making things look pretty which a lot of people think that's all I do. I really discovered that I love figuring out these design problems and challenges and understanding uh, how people actually interact with software and how we can figure out the best way for them to be able to interact with that software and achieve what they're trying to achieve. It was, it was a really cool discovery of figuring out, okay, well, I have these visual design skills and I have these coding skills, uh, but there's this whole other realm that I haven't explored yet of kind of blueprinting the software and the applications that people use. And I absolutely love it. So I worked with startups. I would do short projects or short, short projects or short contracts with them. It allowed me to learn so many different things so fast. And it was kind of like my own design school because it really uh, forced me to jump in and learn a lot of stuff all at once. During this process, were you were you primarily doing all of that learning based off of your own discovery and research, or were you working with people where you were able to learn from as well? Yes, I'd say it's more of the former. Okay. Um, because I was usually working with a lot of developers who didn't have design skills. So it's really funny. Uh, somebody recently pointed out to me when I was talking about that, even if your skills aren't the best, you're still considered the expert in that arena. 
So I was typically working with small groups of developers and I would have to be making these decisions or they would say, oh, can you code up this? And I would say, yes, even though I didn't know how to do that, I then had to figure out how to do that. I remember an earlier example of that would be, I think maybe in 2009, uh, somebody asking me, oh, could you, could you code up a jQuery photo carousel on my website? Yeah. And saying like, yes, no problem. And then freaking out after the meeting and having to go figure that out. I, I like to say a lot of faking it till I made it. And so working with all of those tech startups, it allowed me kind of to be that expert, even though I was so far from an expert. But I entered my designer path kind of through the back door of tech startups instead of going and immersing myself amongst all these other designers. And so ultimately, I, I kind of had a bit of an identity crisis because of that, because I wasn't surrounded by other designers, so I wasn't learning the best design techniques and uh, figuring out kind of what the standard was. I was making it up, and, and it was working, but at the same time, I kind of felt like a fraud. I kind of panicked, and I went and tried to look for a full-time job somewhere else. I interviewed at Deloitte Digital, which had uh, been Ubermind and then had been recently acquired when I was interviewing. And I also interviewed at Zulily. But the Zulily position was for their social strategy manager, and the Deloitte Digital position was for a designer developer hybrid. So the Deloitte Digital role was the role that I wanted, but not the company that I wanted. And Zulily was um, not the role that I wanted, but more of of the company that I thought I wanted. And I thought, oh, well, if I take the Zulily role, they consider themselves a startup, maybe I could kind of transition into a design role there. And that didn't happen. And I was turned into more of a data analyst. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, uh, I learned a ton about databases and uh, SQL. And I came up with this whole tracking system. It was a very analytical position. Uh, more so than I wanted, but I still learned a ton. And I was only there for six months and realized, you know what? I really need to go back to design. Like, this has been a really good test. Design is where I should be, even though I felt like a total fraud before. But design is where I need to be. So um, I went, I just jumped back into working for myself and working with uh, some of my previous clients that hadn't replaced me yet and uh, fell back into it and worked for another eight months. And then accidentally fell into this role at Simply Measured, uh, where a friend of mine posted it on Facebook, Simply Measured is looking for a UX designer. Thought, okay, well, I could do this. I'm just going to go talk to somebody and find out more about the role. I knew the CEO. He had gone to the same high school that I went to. And so I sent him a quick text message and asked him if I should maybe reach out to the VP of product. He said, yeah, sure. So sent the VP of product an email and he said, well, you really should talk to the director of user experience because he's the one hiring for the role. I met up with him and he was fantastic. The company sounded really fun, but ultimately I was really terrified of joining a single company full time. I was really worried I was going to get siloed and I would only be able to focus on either visual or UX or front end development. And I really loved being able to do all of it. And so ultimately I told him, you know what, uh, I think I'm going to pass. I had a pending contract with another tech startup for another contract. And um, 
So then he wrote me back and said, well, I think you could make a big impact here. Uh, really think it over. You could at least just apply. I said, okay, might as well just apply. And then I went through the interview process and I loved their interview process and I fell in love with everybody I interviewed with and then took this job. And it's, it's been phenomenal and I've been able to do so many different things. I have not been siloed at all and I've learned a ton uh, since being here. How do you work with other designers now? I have been working with, that's a challenge, so I've been <laughs> working with uh, the director of user experience, Daniel Worthington, and uh, he and I are the UX team. Okay. <laughs> well, one of my first projects that I worked on when I started was more of some in-house software solutions for our analyst team, and uh, I've also been helping out with some software uh, for focused on our customer success team so that they can see what's failing in the app so they can better educate our customers. So we have all these uh, kind of design-centric people, but we don't have a large UX team. You had used the phrase kind of at the beginning of um, imposter syndrome. Do you feel now, after that long journey, that you are an imposter? This is something I struggle with a lot, and a friend of mine actually said, it's kind of like you have imposter-imposter syndrome. Like, you feel like you have to have imposter syndrome, but you don't. But I do, because I, I constantly look at all these other incredibly talented people, and I think, oh my gosh, I still have so far to go. What I'm doing is nothing right now. Uh, so I'm also a teacher. I teach user experience and front-end development at Seattle Academy to 9th through 12th graders every morning before I come to Simply Measured, uh, just one class. And then I also teach for an organization called Girl Develop It, which the name is misleading, but it's for adult women. But teaching has been a really interesting kind of ongoing antibiotic for imposter syndrome, or not antibiotic, but uh, antidote because it forces me to talk about all of these things that I've learned and sometimes things just come out of my mouth and I realize oh wait maybe I do know what I'm talking about uh, and it actually uh, was particularly it became apparent to me about a year ago when I took my high schoolers on a field trip to Blink Interactive and they thought it was really cool and we got back on the school bus afterwards and they were saying oh my gosh it's like everything we've been learning in class and that was such like a great validation to me because I wasn't sure if what I was telling them was if it was really beneficial to them or if it was really making sense or if it was accurate but it was um, particularly at that time it was hard because I was I wasn't yet working at Simply Measured I was still working for myself and working kind of by myself as a designer with a bunch of developers generally and so it was really hard. I think I'm always going to struggle with it, especially because I'm my own worst critic and I mm. always think I can be better. And, and so that's the hardest part. I think being your own worst critic is a good sign that you are a designer. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. It took me a really long time to actually be able to consider myself a designer, though, like just to have that label. Yeah. yeah. Going along with that, I, actually, I would like to know how do you define design? gosh it's funny because I know that the answer that I'm going to give is going to make it sound like I've been a designer forever but I think it really constitutes uh, solving problems 
not just in a visual way, but it, it really comes down to solving problems. And in terms of user interface design, I guess you're solving the user's problems so that you're allowing the user to solve their own problems in a really clear, easy way. But you have to first figure out their problems to be able to then come up with a solution so that then they can solve their own problems. <laughs> it's really a, a disaster, what I'm trying to say. Um, but I think it really comes down to problem solving and making. And I've always loved doing both of those things my whole life. And so now to finally feel comfortable calling myself a designer is kind of funny, even though I've been doing it my whole life. It's interesting that you say you've been doing it your whole life and that you, your definition of it is, is definitely, I would say, accurate, is that design is a problem-solving skill set. It, it's um, finding a way to connect content to clientele, connect content to the user or the reader or whomever it is. Um, and having read all of your blogs, uh, it was interesting to see a progression. I started from, you know, the very fr the very current one mm -hmm. and start working my way back and then I'm like you know what I'm gonna find the very first one and work my way you know to the beginning to see if I could see some sort of progression of um, creative growth or of some sort of insight and, and I think there was very much so th that um, starting with your first blog where you just started it just to have it and you weren't sure where to go with it but then you found something to talk about and then it became very uniformed and it was very organized and you, you know you, you were very particular about what you then talked about from there and then once that chapter was kind of over you were able to then um, expand to a new type of uh, problem solving and creative outlet uh, I think is maybe another component of, of design. Yeah I, I hadn't even touched on the blogging that I used to do. Um, so when I, when I graduated from college and I was sick and working and I spent a lot of time reading about design and just trying to figure out what it was that I actually wanted to do. This was before I started learning how to make websites and I came up with this blog idea called Swoonworthy. It was kind of like lifestyle, interior design. I would make outfits and blog about it. And I actually gained a pretty good readership. And it was really fun. But then I started to create more websites for clients. And I just had less time for blogging. And it would be 10.30 at night. And I would realize I hadn't written anything for the next day. And it ended up feeling kind of like an obligation when I had really started it as something for fun it gave me a lot of practice. And I had mentioned uh, that my previous kind of experience working with startups and I had mentioned that that was kind of like my design school. This was also, blogging was also kind of like my design school in a way. And it helped me really kind of be able to craft my own voice in my writing. People really had a lot of fun with it and were sad to see it go, uh, which, is, which is nice to hear, I guess, that I had a nice readership. And now I blog occasionally uh, with my husband and my home renovation that most of my posts now are automated through If This Then That, where I just post a photo on Instagram and have it, uh, I hashtag it on Instagram and then it feeds through If This Then That to my blog. Uh, but occasionally I'll write longer posts um, and I have fun with those too. 
you could see the progression of when you stopped using your blog and started using Instagram, that there is definitely this change of your um, your eye for design changed as well of what you were looking at and what you were uh, interested in sharing with people. Yeah, uh, I look back to like my first Instagram photos and I think, oh my gosh, like those are horrible filters. What was I thinking? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Instagram is definitely my social network of choice. Uh, I, I'm really obsessed with Instagram and I love just looking through everybody else's photos and following new people who I have no idea who they are, but their photos are beautiful. And I love being able to gain inspiration from that um, or other makers and finding inspiration in what they're making for my own projects. And I just have so much fun with Instagram. <laughs> okay. I'm going to keep going then sure. um, with this. Um, so I wrote down some things that you uh, wrote in your blog that I oh wanted to bring back to you. It's funny. I forget that all of this is totally public to anyone. Mm. <laughs> and then when yeah. somebody asks me about it, I'm like, oh, my gosh. There was one, I think it was at the beginning of your Swoonworthy blog that you wrote. Uh, this blog has kept me creative during a very dark point in my life. But now that I have climbed entirely out of that hole, it's time for me to take a little blog hiatus. Using that, what else have you found that has um, something different? And we kind of talked about Instagram, but um, I feel like your creativity inspires you to, to do something even bigger and better. These days, what do you find that is inspiring you to get out of the ruts that you're in that... Um, that we all get into. Yeah, gosh. Um, I think that teaching has been really remarkable in that I love showing other people how much talent that they have inside of themselves that they just don't know about yet. So whether that's adult women or high schoolers who don't yet have these really cool skills and then teaching them those skills and seeing how excited they get uh, is really it's really inspiring. Uh, and then with Girl Develop It, I started initially as a TA because I didn't feel confident enough in my abilities. There's that imposter syndrome again. But then as a TA, I thought, oh, wait, no, I, I actually know all this stuff. Uh, so then I, I've been teaching with them since January of this year. It's really exciting to see other people so excited about their own abilities. Something else that has been uh, great but also exhausting has been uh, this house renovation. We have contractors, but I tiled for the first time uh, this shower in the basement and did it all by myself, and I was really proud. And now I, because I am totally crazy, I'm going to be tiling the entire, all the walls of this new bathroom, <laughs> um, and it's going to take so long. Uh, but I love doing stuff like that. I love working with my hands and I just don't do it enough. Even though it's going to take forever, I'm really excited. And that's something that Brittany also talked about too, was working with her hands. And before the computer, I did that all the time, all the time. I was cutting out all those collages that I was talking about. I uh, was always making jewelry. I was always uh, playing outside and making forts. I love doing that. Uh, all of that really uh, just keeps me going all the time. Uh, something else that I really love doing but I don't really do for my job is hand lettering. And that's, again, working with my hands. Um, but, yeah, so 
working with my hands, hand lettering, uh, I really enjoy that. And then I also always have these ideas for these crazy installations that I want to do. It's nonstop. My brain is just always on. <laughs> do you think of those as maybe the projects that you do um, as part of your, your own growth as a designer um, or as... I don't remember if you, I don't think you really had a, a company name. Uh, well, so I called it Swoon Within Multimedia, but since mm-hmm. it was a sole proprietorship, I could also just be me. Mm-hmm. It didn't really matter. Have you thought about it as being part of that? Part of that company? Yeah. I don't know. It's funny. I I think I just like the, I do it for me, I think, which is funny because people say, oh, that then that must be art because you're doing it for yourself. But but at the same time, I want them to be interactive for other people. And then I also really like other people interacting with it. Not because I made it, but I just want something like that to exist so that other people can interact with it. So I might as well make it, you know? Or it could be tied to uh, the Seattle Academy. There's another class coming in right there. Installation 4D oh, type yeah, yeah, yeah. interactivity. Yeah, yeah. that would be really cool. But maybe it could be at some point. And combining software with installations like that would be really, really cool. Well, yeah, that was going to be my question was, um, have, you, have you thought of any ways to kind of bring in those uh, like more tangible, physical ways into the process of designing software? Um, or ways in which that like, software can then interact with more like installation-based things. Yeah. But. So a uh, couple of things. So with Witchbus, we were talking about working with the One Bus Away folks on their, uh, their screens that they have downtown. They have a couple spots downtown where they have these screens where you can see where all the buses are on the map, which is really cool. Um, and it is a 3D kind of kiosk. Uh, it wasn't going to become a full-time job for us because there was no way to monetize. And But we had a good run for like a yeah. year and a half. Yeah. Um, but with my high schoolers, we do paper prototypes, and that's one of the first things that we do. And while that's not an installation, it's still making yeah. with your hands and yeah. showing them how to uh, kind of move the pages around. Like if you tap on this button, quote-unquote, uh, it takes you to this other screen and helping them understand how to figure out those problems before anything even goes into the computer. Yeah. Yeah. I want to take you back to one of the things that you were talking about that most recently your house renovation has kind of consumed a lot of your creativity and what have you. Um, in your Swoonworthy, is that Swoonworthy? blog you had talked about when you went to India and there were a lot of different uh, colors uh, of doors and that you know contrasting the there was not really a palette that they all fall under but it was a great way of maybe describing or um, allowing someone who's intimidated by color to to, to add some to it Um, I feel like that's somewhat of uh, a bit of a metaphor for you is that you had talked about later on in another blog post of um, being um, afraid of beige or of white or, you know, of bland colors. Because it kind of reminded you of your mother that there was no uh, pop or something like that <laughs> into it. Do you see yourself maybe um, different now that you've grown and that you 
feel more like a designer that you can um, that color not being just color itself but uh, maybe the way that you uh, design or the way that you code is a little bit more simplified or a little bit more refined and that um, that little pop for you is in different ways rather than something that's outrageous something that's wild so oh gosh that's so funny that must have been a really old blog post um that i had completely forgotten about uh i'm still not a fan of beige but i love gray so much um and i think that working on a house from 1910 you can't really fill it with big pops of color I just want like my white trim with my refinished hardwood floors and gray walls and and I love that and I love that kind of refinement but then you can still bring in other colors with furnishings and whatnot. I I think I my design sense has become more refined over 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 the years and even though I love gray I also still love color uh, but it's a very conscious use of color. Like it needs to match the brand and it needs, it needs to have a reason to be there it's to make it have its own identity. And do you think that's changed from the way that you maybe saw color or creativity uh, beforehand? Um, potentially. I think actually with my work uh, in college, my use of color was actually still kind of where it is today. I, I would use color for a reason, not just for the sake of using color. But now I think I am drawn to more of those neutrals and texture instead of just bright colors. Again, I feel like I've read, I feel like I read a novel about you. <laughs> As you said, you can uh, find a lot of things about oneself uh, just by Googling the name. And as soon as Brittany had given me your name, I'm like, okay, well, I should probably figure out who this is. And, and I'm the only Paige Polly out there. <laughs> you're the only Paige Polly. Yeah, it, it, at first I was like, oh, okay, let's see if I can find all of, find the right one. But no, I was like, okay, well, do you regret actually posting all of these things about yourself? I don't think so. No, um, no I'm going to say no. Because even though just anybody can go find it, uh, it's still there for me to reference when I'm old and gray, yeah. you know. And it's, it's kind of fun to look back and see life and how it's progressed. This, um, one of the things that I worry for students that are trying to get jobs these days, um, excuse me, um, social media that we talked about as this thing that a employer could look at and see all of these things that are meant to be their, their private life. Does that make a difference in the way that people hire? Do you feel that anyone has ever um, had come back to talk to you about some of the things that it doesn't have to be bad, but that they had seen, obviously, that they were Googling you or that they were searching you out to see if there was uh, anything about your past? Um, I mean, people have said to me things about, oh, on your portfolio without me ever telling them about my portfolio. So they obviously Googled me ever since I, I guess, got involved with putting things online but there's always an audience and you always need to, you always want to actually be the best version of yourself, but you also have to make sure that you're conveying the best version of yourself to other people. That's who I am. And I think that uh, you want to stay true to yourself, but at the same time, you have to make sure that that person is uh, who you want to be c conveying or portraying. I, I like the, um, the use of that phrase, that there's always an audience 
who do you think your audience is now? Who do you think is watching you now? Quote, watching you. Right, (laughs) right. It's funny because now that I'm a designer, I think that other designers and recruiters and whomever, uh, they're the ones looking at me. So it makes sense that those people are watching me. I think I think some of the same like old audiences probably watching me. But what do you think people get out of watching you? Like why why I don't know. You know, <laughs> it's a because, little creepy. <laughs> well, no, it, it is it is a little creepy. But I guess what I'm thinking is is that we've talked a lot about like how you've grown and learned through all of your experiences, and then how you then teach as part of that, and like teaching in person, but also you're sort of te- like people are learning from you based off of your blogging experiences as well. So how in the teaching in person versus, via, versus like teaching through the web, just reflecting on your own experiences, like how do you think those are different in maybe thinking about maybe less about what others get out of it, but what do you get out of those different things? Yeah. 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 So I think that um, in terms of posting things on the internet, maybe that's, a bit more for me, like to keep track of where I'm at in my career. Um, and if I make something that I'm proud of, I do want to put that out there. Yeah. But I think that I then do the teaching more for other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm bringing back imposter syndrome again because I have a hard time like talking about myself to other people. Yeah. <laughs> like this is actually kind of challenging for me. We get that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Because I guess I'm constantly worried about people thinking I'm bragging about myself. And so I think that teaching other people, that's not for me. That's to help other people get better um, and become the version of themselves that they want to be. And then putting my own things out on the internet uh, is is more for me and a more passive way of showing off what I'm doing because I am proud of it and I do want to share it, but I want to do it in a way that's not like, oh, wow, look at me. I'm so great. Yeah. It's it, it's easier to do it in a, this this almost more passive way that people can then stumble upon right. than having to do it in person. So somebody like, you know, we can go and look that and have all that extra information without, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. And I think looking through it, being able to look back at it and see it from someone who is a stranger, who is going through from the beginning all the way to to now, um, it's very fascinating because it's like reading a book about someone's autobiography without getting an edited version of what they think. Uh, there are certain things that didn't um, aren't coming through. But I have seen that you have been much more uh, reserved lately about what you post and what you say. Uh, so, for instance, uh, you know, in the early years, you would refer to your uh, then boyfriend at the time by his first name, and now he is the the hub or the hubby or something like that. Um, and that's interesting to see, you know, that there's that that change over. I understand what you're saying about kind of refining what I'm sharing. I think a lot of that too is just I'm very busy and I don't post as much anymore anyway. And so the things that I do post are must be things that I'm really, really excited about. But that doesn't mean that I have to share absolutely everything. The thing that really uh, attracted me to reading everything was that you're very humorous. 
um, especially, <laughs> you know, at the, at the beginning parts of, of um, your uh, chemo treatments, there was a lot of ways. And you identified it right away as saying that the way I'm going to deal with this is with humor. So if you don't like it, stop reading right now. <laughs> There's a lot of serious moments that you kind of uh, dilute with humor. Uh, do you find that that is still a coping mechanism for you? That uh, to do you still use humor as as a uh, as a way to to relieve stress? I think I do. Although I think I was like the funniest I've ever been in my entire life when I was going through chemo. Like maybe everybody was just like laughing with me because they pitied me, or were just like. I don't know, trying to give me pity laughs, but um, I think I was actually really funny during chemo. And I think it was just that stress uh, just gave me some really good one-liners. I think that I am really a goofy person. I'm always laughing, and uh, my husband and I are always laughing, and uh, so humor is still very important to me. Uh, but I I have a pretty sarcastic sense of humor sometimes. <laughs> and you could see that in, in the writing I'll, I'll read a little bit here of um, a time where you had to be, uh, you were going somewhere and you rushed back to urgent care and you started off by saying fantastic and you, all caps, fantastic. So I can kind of see that, that sarcasm in your voice. Um, when, you, when we got there, I checked in and got a mask from the front desk. The consulting nurse said it was imperative that I get a mask. Like I might die if I did not look like a painter <laughs> while sitting in urgent care waiting room. Trevor made sure to secure by squeezing the little metal tab on my nose. Thanks, babe. <laughs> by the way, this is in, in uh, parentheses. By the way, we were the only people there. So no one else got to witness my baby blue Darth Vader-ness. <laughs> <laughs> and you go on and on like that. And there's a, a moment in which you are uh, peeing in a cup. And there is just something hilarious <laughs> that really needs to be visualized. Um, and this is, my, this is my pitch for you t to start a web series of actually going back and recreating these into little <laughs> webisodes of some sort. Because the explanation of trying to use the peen in the cup and the guy that was named Pot. Oh, right. <laughs> um, he says, um, a nice guy who said his nickname was Bong because his initials were P-O-T. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, urgent care. Yes, yes, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the, you know that he just didn't bring the right equipment, and so there you are. There is, there is just something great there. Oh, yeah, I think he made me drink out of a giant pink plastic pitcher. Yes. Did I reference yes. that? Yeah, you, you had to chug it. Yeah, yeah I had to yeah. chug a ton of water. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I think that um, I'm, I'm glad that you find that funny. Other people have told me that uh, they really like my my writing style and my voice um, because I really enjoy writing it and I really enjoy uh, just even just keeping that for myself but I am cognizant of a readership when I'm writing those things out and sometimes I think I'm probably the only one who's going to think this is funny but I'm still going to write it this way uh, so people can deal with it but I, I really should write more and I think that you have a lot to write about too I mean if 
a your design experience that's ho- happening you know uh, on a regular basis uh, teacher of high school students especially early in the morning uh, there's got to be something funny <laughs> about high school students early in the morning uh, living in Seattle yeah. you know that's there's a lot of calamities that happen uh, in in situations like that uh, and then of course renovating a hundred and four-year-old house (laughs) has got to have nothing but just gems and pearls of humor into it you know it's already envisioning tiling that whole bathroom oh yeah (laughs) me too that you know some part of that is not gonna go smoothly no (laughs) no i I did post a few photos on instagram of just being covered in thin set like my legs just covered um and uh, I remember I did in also Instagram a picture because Instagram has kind of become kind of like my blog in a way. Do you feel that high school, college students these days would be adventurous enough or daring enough to do something where you have to take this leap of faith of I'm going to design something, I'm going to create something, I'm going to leave it out there and hope the world will will bring it back to me or hope the world will um, find use of it? Yeah, I mean, I think I think kids would. There's so many kids putting stuff out there on social media these days. But it definitely has, I think, a different intention than kind of what I was doing. Whereas with social media, I think a lot of people just do it for the attention and they're expecting that. Uh, instant that gratification. Instant gratification, exactly. Yeah. Like, even I get caught up in it, too. Like, with my Instagrams, I'm like, okay, how many likes do I have so far? You know, and it's it really is terrible. I really don't want to think that way. Um, so lately, I have just been like, if I post a photo, I just, like, try to forget that I've ever even posted it. Um, but with kids these days, uh, I think I think they would do it. It just depends on the type of kid. Yeah. Um, it was just kind of my own little thing. Do you wish that you were, um, you had an easier, oh, maybe not. Um, do you wish that your trajectory to design was a little bit more straight? It's a really interesting question. Um, because there are times when I really wish, like, oh, I should have just listened to myself instead of other people when trying to figure out what I was going to do. Or uh, I think there was just an expectation that I would do something like medicine or law or whatever just kind of those easy things that people think of when they think of a career that is assumed to be a successful career and so sometimes I wish that I hadn't had that distraction Um, I think another reason of why I didn't find it right away is because I didn't feel like I fit into that stereotypical designer box Uh, or developer box. I had a hard time really putting myself in any box. So there are times when I do think back and think, oh, I do wish I had been able to find this earlier because I feel like I would be so much further in my career now. But at the same time, I think that doing all the things that I've done over the years have really shaped me into maybe a different kind of designer in that I can look at things in a different way because I have all these other experiences instead of just always having been a designer. So you said earlier that looking back on it, you said that you'd been doing design since you could remember in a lot of ways. But at what point in that 
trajectory that we were just talking about, did you kind of feel comfortable to yourself saying, okay, like I'm a designer and actually start telling people that? Does that make sense? Totally. Um, I think when I really felt really comfortable calling myself that was once I had left Zulily, uh, that does that data analyst role, uh, pro- product manager role, um, and returned to working for myself. Before then, I would uh, go to different tech startup meetups and pitch my services. And so I would have to say I'm a designer yeah. in order to convince people to come talk to me. But I think that I was still even reluctant to call myself a designer or a front-end developer then. Yeah. It was kind of faking it till I made it. But it was also faking it to myself, I guess. Other people saw me as a designer, so why couldn't I? I'd say it was when I had returned to working for myself full-time. So that was even just February of 2013. So that's not even that long ago. There's a blog post about that. Just oh, saying. <laughs> I hear that you also do lists. And when we first walked into the room, you sat down and pulled out your mold skin. <laughs> and made a list. And made a, started making a list. Did you have questions for us? Or? No. So I, I made a list of four people who I think were really influential to me. Oh, okay. Um. And I've mentioned two of them so far briefly in this podcast. Mm-hmm. But I also wanted to talk about, just really quickly, um, two other people. The first of which is a woman named Lisa Lewis, and she was my computer teacher from kindergarten through eighth grade. You had a computer teacher in elementary school? So school? I, I went to a really amazing, nerdy private school. Looking back now, especially with... Um, my experience as a woman in tech and my attempt at decreasing the gender gap in technology with teaching. Uh, I've been thinking more about Lisa Lewis and how she was a woman in tech, but she she was phenomenal and she had us building Legos and programming them and uh, doing, and she taught us Photoshop and she had us uh, all get email addresses when we were in fifth grade. And she is a huge reason of why I love technology so much. And I don't think she knows what I'm doing today. So I really need to reach out to her and let her know. But I think she was a really big influencer in what I do today. Another professor I had in college, his name was David Amico. And uh, he was my painting teacher. And he is just such a character. And he doesn't know what I'm doing either. Catherine Miller doesn't know what I'm doing either. I really just need to reach out to all these people. how do you know they don't follow your blog? I'm just <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just had <laughs> They might. Um, I, I, for some reason, I don't think they do, though. Well, Paige, what, what would you want them to know? <sighs> give, give me the Twitter post of, right. of oh, here's, my, here's my life since the last time you saw me. Um, I guess just that I'm a designer now, and I get to build amazing things, and... I have Lisa, David, Catherine, and Corey to thank for that, but they don't know it. <laughs> well, that's good. You know, I, I think that's something worthwhile. It's it's easy to. I think we all have people like that in our lives that we 
are so appreciative of, but we never just take the time to send that one email that says, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be here today. Thank you. Yeah. You know, and there you go. We'll just send you this snippet and you can send it to them. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. I will do that. Yeah. There are two questions that I usually like to ask near the end. Uh, the, the first one, do you have a, um, a roadmap or a, um, a hope for where you end up in 10 years from now? So it's so funny. Like, I really I have such a hard time with that question, um, just because, like you said, my background is so diverse. However, I do think that now that I'm comfortable calling myself a designer and I love what I do, I'm going to continue doing this. One thing I would love to do in the future is to design solutions for a greater good or other social causes. Um, and another thing that I want to do is I want to design software for more people like is part of everyone's everyday life I think that would be really cool uh and then thirdly I'd really love to do more in the physical space and maybe that will come down to creating software with installations of some kind cool I tried asking this to Brittany um which is what would you hope the future you 10 years from now page 10 years older would remember that you are that that's an important part of your life right now doesn't need to be that um that you're a designer or anything like that anything physical but maybe it's an emotional state maybe it's a mental state maybe it's a spiritual state i think just remember that you have more abilities than you think you do and you've actually done a lot and you can do even more oh yeah I like that. I do too. <laughs> I think that's that's a good piece of advice for a lot of people is that we uh, we sometimes put our own roadblocks in front of us just to say, well, I could never do that, or that's impossible. You're amazing. I could never do that. Right. Yeah. I mean, like I go on dribble, and that is the worst idea ever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it's great to see what amazing things people are doing, but at the same time, it's so easy to get so caught up in the consumption of things instead of the production of things. And that's something that I always fight. It's so easy to say, oh, but I'm looking for inspiration, when really you just never make anything yourself. <laughs> You just get stuck on the internet. Try being a college professor. You know, it's <laughs> like, oh my God, that's so cool. If only you did this, it would make it even better. And then you know, it's like, no, don't touch it, JP. Yep. It's theirs. <laughs> Let them have their mistakes. Let them have their amazing designs. You know, don't go home and cry. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's the same with high school. Yeah. And yeah. they are even more green than college students and it's really remarkable what they are able to achieve. And I was told by a college professor that what I was setting out to do with high schoolers was not possible. And I'm in year two of teaching them, and it's been really fantastic. There's things like, I think it's called Recode or Code.org, and that does a lot of things like that. Yeah. Do you know that? Well, what's interesting about Code.org is that they're focused on programming. Um, whereas HTML and CSS are not actually programming. Uh, but they are very technical and they're analytical. 
a lot of people say that they're not math, but there are a lot of mathematical concepts in them and things like nth child and like that's definitely algebra. Yeah. And so code.org is not focused on front-end technologies. I think that design and front-end development are just as important uh, as the back-end side of software. I wish that more programmers saw that. Uh, I work with a lot of incredible engineers and they all seem to appreciate the value of front-end and they see the things that I can build with HTML and CSS and they say like, oh my gosh, I, I could never do that. Uh, there's another uh, blog I found called A Single Div, and it's about, like, you just use a single div, and then you build this incredible image all with CSS all around a single div, uh, which is a cluster of code that doesn't really have any semantic meaning, but um, you can build off of that using CSS to create these amazing pictures. Yeah, so I think it's really undervalued, and uh, I think that just focusing on programming, like I think I said earlier, really alienates a whole other group of people, a whole other type of person that might not be initially as interested in traditional programming, but UX design and HTML and CSS are really great gateway drugs into the world of technology. (laughs) (laughs) Amen to that. (laughs) Well, Paige, um, thank you for talking to to us today. Um, We have one last question which i'm sure you know um who else should we talk to out there who else has an interesting story who else out there is young um has some great insight into what they're doing uh, whether it's a student whether it's someone early in their career or anything like that so if there's a list already created <laughs> somewhere in your book no i i want to nominate my former manager, Daniel Worthington. Uh, I want to nominate him because he's one of the most brilliant people I've ever gotten to work with. And he has a really untraditional path with design as well. He started out, he was a philosophy major, uh, then he went into IT, and then he was an engineer, and now he's a UX designer. While he's not super green in his career, he has been doing UX for a few years now, but he's absolutely amazing. And I don't think of him as anything but a designer. And I think he's kind of similar like me in that like he's always grown up making things and solving problems. And um, But yeah, I think of him as such a designer, similar to what Brittany was saying, that uh, she knew that I hadn't, uh, I didn't have a design degree or anything like that, but that that almost made me cry when I heard that when she was saying like she's such a designer to me because in your heart of hearts and in her heart of hearts, right? <laughs> <laughs> she had more to say about that. I I cut a, a couple oh, yeah. other things out of there, but <laughs> she's so sweet. Yeah, I just think more people need to know him <laughs> and know about him, and like he's admittedly not as great about networking. Mm-hmm. But he's so smart and so talented, and uh, he needs to talk about himself because he's really awesome. There you go. Maybe that's that's the thing that we'll we'll just say. So Paige says you need to talk about yourself. So five <laughs> minutes. We're not going to say really anything. Nervous. <laughs> <laughs> no, he'll do great. 
Well, thanks again, Paige. Yeah, you're yeah. welcome. Yeah, this has been fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.